So uh, this morning we are privileged and blessed to have the Reverend Almost Doctor Leanne Ketchum with us and she will be bringing the message to us today. She's no stranger to ECC. We invited her to preach twice while I was on sabbatical. And since uh, pastors and directors were away this past week and a time of prayer and planning, we invited her to come back and I'm looking forward to that. Leanne is ordained in the Wesleyan Church and currently serves with the United Methodist Church of the Indiana Conference of the United Methodist Church in the Communications Department, which has the fancy, intriguing title of Content Specialist. There she gets to tell the stories of what God is doing in churches around the state. So I gave Leanne the same invitation I've been giving myself in this series, and that is, I said, spend some time in prayer, listen to what the Spirit is saying, and then come back and preach what is on your heart, and that is what she's doing. So I invite Leanne to come on up. Good morning, ECC. It's, it's great to see you again. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we give thanks to your spirit who always goes before us. And we pray that we might hear from you the words that you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember a time in my life when I loved roller coasters. Any of them. The spinning ones, the ones that went so fast made your face feel like it was being reformed, the ones that dropped and make your stomach feel like it's in your throat. I didn't mind that weird, dizzying feeling where your internal equilibrium is sort of being thrown off. But I grew up in a small town where the roller coasters were usually about an hour or more away, and so we spent our summer nights not on roller coasters, but going from backyard to backyard amongst friends. Now, with a little creativity and imagination, we found a game where we could recreate the sort of dizzying feeling that roller coasters offered. And perhaps a little less creatively, uh, we called it the stick game, because it involved a stick. <laughs> so the way that you would play is we would take a stick, we point it up in the air, and you would stare at the top of the stick and spin 20 times around, and then throw it on the ground, and you had to jump over it. I know, small town, it's super exciting. <laughs> and as ridiculous as it sounds, it gave us so much fun. There would always be a crowd chanting with you, making sure you did your due diligence of the 20 spins, and inevitably, the person who was spinning was either blinded by the sun or the moon and just completely out of sorts, utterly disoriented. It was comical to watch. Now, I don't really have a stomach for this anymore. I went on a roller coaster a couple of years ago, and it was one and done. That was plenty. Because I remember the way that the world just kept spinning and spinning and spinning. You know, you'd throw this stick on the ground, and it, this person, whether it was me or someone else, you, you end up just running sideways or just totally falling over. And we would play in the dark, so inevitably someone's head would hit a root or something, and you would just lie on the ground waiting for the world to stop spinning, waiting for this internal equilibrium to return. And these, there were these few knocks on the head. I remember feeling so queasy and so disoriented, even while having so much fun. And I wonder if we have ever felt this way spiritually. It's a little bit less fun 
maybe you don't love that feeling just like I don't love that feeling anymore. But when we are spiritually dazed, spiritually disoriented, where we didn't know which way was up or down, north or south, it feels like our head may have hit a tree or may have hit a root, we're not really sure, and the only thing we can do is just lie there, waiting for the world to stop spinning. Sometimes this feeling is called doubt, the experience of having uncertainty. We don't always talk a lot about doubt, it makes us a little uneasy. We wouldn't want to give people the wrong idea. We're faith people, after all. So we maybe once a year talk about the story of Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas. Uh, it often gets told as this sort of harsh way to talk about, talk about doubt. Thomas, Thomas, you doubter. He wouldn't believe that Christ was really resurrected unless he put his hands in his side and in his hands. Shame on you. How could you doubt? But really, doubt is about having questions. It's a search for understanding, a desire to know more, to go deeper. And I think God views our questions more like a very patient teacher, where there are no bad questions, and they love just being asked. In the 16th century, there was John of the Cross, a Spanish monk, and he wrote about this experience of spiritual disorientation. He devoted his life to reforming the church, and his attempts were often heavily criticized, so he ended up in prison. It was there, while he's confined, and he's feeling as though his dreams have been lost, that he writes his most famous work, which came to be known as The Dark Night of the Soul. In the early days of the spiritual life, he says, there is a certain delight, a love for reading the Bible, a joy for service, a longing for prayer, a hunger for worship. But that feeling doesn't stay in that same form forever, he says. I remember seeing this play out in a friend of mine. We'll call him Marcus. He felt an acute awareness of God's love for him, of God's presence of the goodness of being part of the church. Whenever there was a small, a small group, Marcus was there. And whenever the worship band was playing, Marcus was on stage playing the bass. When there was uh, a time to study the Bible, he made sure he was first in line. He described to me this feeling of the warm fuzzies. And then after a year or two of being a devoted follower of Jesus, he said to me one day, the warm fuzzies are gone. What do I do when the warm fuzzies are gone? What does this mean? St. John is talking about this experience, a spiritual crisis of faith. There's confusion, disappointment, even suffering. And in all of this, the dark night of the soul can feel like the silence of God. I talk with many Christians who feel this sort of way right now, spiritually disoriented, a little bit knocked off their feet. And the past several years have certainly not been easy on a macro level. We know that there are plenty of things to have questions about, whether it's the pandemic, politics, climate change, all sorts of things. 
it's been a tough road. And I remember early on in the pandemic, sitting on the floor of my kitchen crying. Uh, and it was just this utterly dizzying feeling, totally bewildering. I had so many questions. You know, we knew so little in March 2020 at that point. And to some degree, it just felt as though it was the darkest of all days. Where is God then? But could it be possible that our doubts and our questions, the loss of great feeling, or the experience of spiritual darkness is not a liability or a problem to be fixed? But could these seasons instead be God stripping away the falsity or our reliance on feeling for faithfulness? Could God be in the darkness? There's a story in Genesis of one woman's darkest of days. She's a young mother, or about to be. Uh, and in this time, when a wife could not bear children, she would give her slave or maidservant to her husband so she could have a child on her behalf. And this is what happened to Hagar, the Egyptian slave of Sarai. So Sarai sends Hagar to Abraham as a surrogate so she can have a son. Hagar conceives, and then uh, this only leads to trouble between Sarai and Hagar. And it says that Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar, and Hagar ran away. So imagine with me, if you will, that you are this young woman who has very little control over her life. On any normal day, she's a slave. And then on top of that now, she's pregnant. And on top of that, her mistress, her, the person in charge of her, has sent her away and has dealt harshly with her. She's experiencing violence. And so there she sits in the wilderness. And so Hagar becomes the first person in the entire Bible to name God. Because God comes to her in the wilderness. And she names God Elroy. You are the God who sees me. And that is the heart of our psalm for today. That God is a God who sees you in your dark night. God is a God who knows you, who receives the, both the light and the darkness in your life, and who does not abandon you in the darkest of days. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And this is the part that I really want us to hear today. Where can I go from your spirit? Where? Could I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, well, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you.
Do you find yourself in a season of spiritual disorientation? Are you wrestling with questions and doubts and wonderings that have bubbled up from life? Are you walking in a dark night of the soul where it seems as if God is absent? Then hear this. Even the darkness will not be dark to God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to God. When we are in the depths of it all, the darkest of the darkest nights, wrestling full-time with our doubts, our questions, our fears, it is hard to see anything on the other side. So let's not mince words about it. Dark seasons, they're just painful. And John of the Cross writes this from his prison cell. God's love is not content to leave us in our weakness. And for this reason, he takes us into a dark night. He weans us from all the pleasures by giving us dry times and inward darkness. No soul will ever grow deep in the spiritual life unless God works passively in that soul by means of the dark night. Or Barbara Brown Taylor puts it another way. I have learned things in the dark that I could never have learned in the light. Things that have saved my life over and over again. So there is really only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need light. Agnes was a young woman who was born in what is now Macedonia. She loved Jesus served Jesus, longed to be nearer and in constant relationship with Jesus. She felt called into ministry as a 12-year-old and at 18 left her parents' house to pursue her call as a missionary. She felt God say to her, come, come, carry me into the holes of the poor, come be my light. So she gave her life in service to the poorest of the poor forsaking all extravagance to attend to the last and the least and the lost, the sick and the dying. She cared and she prayed. She was the hands and feet of Jesus, giving dignity to those who rarely, if ever, saw it, and in so doing, giving them God's love. As part of her ministry, she formed homes that cared for those with HIV AIDS, leprosy, and tuberculosis, she ran soup kitchens and mobile clinics, started orphanages, and put kids in schools. She received a Nobel Peace Prize and is better known to most of us as Mother Teresa. But for nearly 50 years, she experienced the dark night of the soul. And she would write about this over and over, seeking out spiritual guidance to those called confessors, spiritual mentors. It wasn't easy for her, so it was great spiritual pain. And she wrote something like this to one of her confessors. Jesus has a very special love for you. But as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. Now one of her spiritual mentors, Joseph Nooner, responded to her pleas for answers about the darkness. And he told her three things. First, there is no human remedy for darkness. So she should not feel compelled to fix it. Second, 
the feeling, that feeling Jesus is not the only proof of Jesus' presence. And her desire for Christ was a sure sign of Christ's hidden presence in her life. And third, that the absence she was feeling was a way in which she shared in Christ's life, death, and resurrection of one who had known what it felt like to be forsaken. And so when Mother Teresa began to regard her darkness, not as a place of God's absence, but as a place of God's presence and a hotbed of God's work in her life to bring her nearer and nearer to Jesus, she received it in a new way. She wrote this, I can't express in words the gratitude I owe you for your kindness to me. For the first time in years, I have come to love the darkness. For I believe now that it is part of a very, very small part of Jesus' darkness and pain on earth. Now, one of the things that I love about Mother Teresa's spiritual journey is that this experience of darkness didn't bring her into isolation. She did not withdraw by herself. It brought her towards others. Throughout her life, there is a multitude of writing as she engages with spiritual mentors, asking them her serious questions about faith, sharing with them honestly and truthfully the real experience that she's having of darkness. And at the same time, she's also continually in devotional life with others, praying with others, serving with them, caring for the lost and in the community. She persists in prayer and devotion. It is the lie of darkness that we should be alone, or that having questions or doubts or darkness or pain or suffering means that you should be by yourself. We are tempted to withdraw from others when we experience dark times. But the truth is, you are already known in every part of your life, and you are already received from God. And as we go to one another and share in real and honest community, we experience God's real love for us through one another. Many of us can feel a sort of discomfort around spiritual darkness or disorientation or doubt. We worry that our questions or lack of feeling or fervor, it must mean that we're not really Christian. And we wonder sometimes if God has abandoned us. But fear not. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Dear friends, may we come to love the darkness and the light because God is there. Let us pray together. God, in your great love for us, you know every corner of our hearts. You know the quiet places of pain that we do not share. You know the questions that keep us up at night. 
or that rack our minds. As you bring those to our hearts, even right now while we pray, God, we ask that you would minister to us in those dark places. We know that these, pla- that these spaces of our lives are the presence of your spirit, bringing us closer and closer to you, drawing us deeper and deeper into our walk and reliance on you. God, we open our hearts for you to do your work, that it might bring new life into us for the glory and for the work of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.